Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details. Locked On Trailblazers, your daily Portland Trailblazers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to a July 31st Monday edition of the Locked On Blazers podcast. I'm your host, Eric Garcia Gunderson, a writer many places, AP Real GM, former Blazer B writer at the Vancouver Columbian, and your host of Locked On Blazers. Welcome back to Locked On Blazers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, where you can find a wide variety of podcasts covering the NBA and the NFL, including your favorite team, the Portland Trail Blazers, right here. We're doing it twice a week right now because it's the summer, but we still keep giving you that content. And today we have Kevin Pelton, ESPN Insider on the podcast. Very excited for that. Before we get to that, it was a great weekend for the Lockdown Blazers podcast and LOB Nation. We took home the Rip City 3-on-3 championship two years ago. We made the championship game and lost. This year, we took home the title. Felt great to, to get the medals and to take down a really tough team Two tough teams on the second day, the 750 the game squad, which was very, very tough, and also the dime and uprock squad was a very tough squad. Uh, we were we were the beneficiaries of a lot of rest in this tournament. We played uh, three really total games, so we got lucky, luck of the draw, and, and we, we rested. We took a little page from the Spurs playbook, so worked out champions of the Rip City three-on-three. And before we get to the podcast with Kevin Pelton, just wanted a quick word from our longest presenting sponsor, SeatGeek. Buying tickets to sports and concerts can be complicated, but there's a better, simpler way to buy tickets with SeatGeek. It's the smartest, easiest way to get to live events with SeatGeek and their seamless mobile experience. You can buy tickets and sell tickets in just two taps. SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There's nothing like seeing your favorite team, musician, or performance in person and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action than ever I have it on my phone it's one of the easiest ways to get tickets when I was in Chicago for Pitchfork I was late to get tickets it was kind of a last minute thing I got on SeatGeek found the tickets there and it it was super easy it saves time and money by searching multiple ticket sites they compare prices you get the most bang for your buck with their deal score they rate the deals from 1 to 100 every purchase is fully guaranteed so you can shop with confidence make it your go-to app for finding the best deals on every type of ticket. And the best thing about SeatGeek is that all my listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. And to collect on that $20 rebate, just download the SeatGeek app, enter promo code LONBA. That's LONBA to get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. 
Download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code LONBA today. And now, without further ado, my conversation with Kevin Pelton, ESPN Insider. Hello and welcome to a July 31st Monday edition of the Locked On Blazers podcast. I'm your host, Eric Garcia Gunderson, and today I am joined by my pal, one of the best analysts in the game, in my opinion, of the game, the game of basketball that we all love so much, Kevin Pelton, ESPN Insider, the Basketball Analogy Podcast, doing it all. KP, how you doing? I'm doing well. I feel honored to be here with a Rip City 3-on-3 basketball tournament media champion. Congratulations. Media champions. The Rip City 3-on-3 media champions locked on Blazers. It was a great moment for for all of us, for LOB Nation. Uh, a, a great moment for us. We, we started out, so we, we won the championship, but I will say we, we were, I think we were a little ahead of the game in terms of the Rip City 3-on-3. We forfeited our first game. Uh, because one of our guys got sick, and then another one had a, a, a thing that he had to attend to that he couldn't make the game for, so we only had two guys. But And by the end of the tournament, we had played half as many te- half as many games as the team we beat in the championship had played. So shout-out to the Spurs for showing us the way to win the championship. <laughs> yeah, nobody told Vivek about this. The... Uh... Either the two-on-three strategy or or the forfeiting games for the purpose of rest yeah, strategy. Vivek is gonna Vivek's gonna jump on this as soon as he hears about it. So just saying, send royalties to to Lockdown Blazers if you do take on that idea, Vivek. But shout out to shout out to the squad. Uh, shout out to to Trent Roos, to Ty, to Andre, to Seth. We had a great squad of guys. Seth uh, was ill. But we recovered, and we it was great. So it was really fun squad. So thank you, KP, for letting me uh, for leading me into that and, and getting to bask in the glory of this championship. Until next season, when we defend it, like you know, we're, we're going to be coming back strong. We're we're going to be the, the 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 new dynasty of the Rip City Three on Three. Hopefully, <laughs> next year, if you uh, you you add your Durant, you have your Durant style addition. Yeah, to we the need team. to just take a player from one of the other media teams and 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 add him. Uh, but anyway, so the off season for the NBA seems to have slowed to a crawl. It has not died down, but it is it is at a a pace now that is a little bit calmer. Um. The Blazers made a big deal last week, and I, I guess we, we'll start there because you wrote about it, and I, I talked a little bit about what you wrote on the podcast last week, but the Blazers traded Alan Crabb to Brooklyn basically for salary cap, cap relief. Uh, what did you think of that trade? Uh, it seems like you were pretty, you know, you, you saw that the, the reasons why they did it. It seems like you were pretty high on the Portland side of it for them. Uh, what do you think about that deal for Portland moving Alan, moving on from Alan Crabb, basically? 
So I was mostly surprised that they were able to do it without having to give up any draft picks in return. I figured that if they were going to move any of kind of those, you know, three contracts from last summer that are looking like overpays at this point, the the Leonard contract, the Evan Turner contract or crab, that it was probably going to take some sort of draft pick. Now, you know, part of that in crab's case was the fact that he had this 15% trade kicker from the offer sheet that the nets had signed him to last summer. He of course agreed to waive that trade bonus is part of facilitating this deal. So, you know, the, the contract wasn't quite as onerous for Brooklyn as it could have been. If you add another 15% on top of the 18 plus million, he was already scheduled to make over the next three years. So that, that helped it out a little bit, but you know, that was my main thing is now if, if Paul Allen was willing to pay the, this much tax, which would have been, you know, they were looking at 40 plus million before this trade, then, hey, great, by all means, you know, it's it's not my money, but it's completely understandable that you would not want to pay 40 million in luxury tax for a team that at this point is not a sure thing to make the playoffs in this conference as low as it is in the, you know, the kind of seven through 10 range at this point. Uh, so, you know, to be able to accomplish that without giving up any picks, doing anything that I think is really going to hurt the franchise long term is, I think, a win. And then, you know, it's not just the 40 million plus the salad plus Crab's actual salary this year it's also the fact that you know you're you're saving that money in future years with the Yusuf Nurkic extension or new contract looming like this was not a short-term one-year problem for the Blazers the luxury tax it was going to be a problem for them for you know probably three or four years so it, it to be able to get out of that again without having to give up any draft picks and hurt your future that way I, I think very good for them. they've been I, I want to ask you about this because I've been Talking to some people about it and, and, and trying to understand it a little bit more and maybe, you know, you can shed a little bit of light. Uh, what do you think about – they've been very liberal with the use of the stretch provision and it seems like this is a thing that they are, are cool with doing. And doing the Azili stretching was a little confusing to me because that was just $1 million, but it seems like they're using that stretch provision and I, I guess do you think that – do you think they're done using the stretch revision? Do you think they could maybe use it for future for future players? Because they 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 seem to be pretty okay with using it. They've already used it on Verajan last year. They used it on Festus this year, and now they just use it on the Andrew Nicholson contract. Uh, do you think that maybe we're going to see more teams doing this, or do you think you know Portland will maybe even do it a little bit more? I think we're definitely going to see more teams doing this. I mean, you know, this was a more expensive version, but we saw Toronto do something similar to to this involving the Nets as well, where they traded, in their case, Damari Carroll and gave up a first-round pick to get off his salary because the Nets weren't as interested in him. They took back Justin Hamilton and stretched his $3 million over three years. So something similar where they also were trying to avoid the luxury tax and now, you know, figure to uh, avoid paying the tax altogether this season. Blazers still a move or two away from getting to that point. But, yeah, I think, you know, as, as we see, number one, those contracts from last summer that – now, with the benefit of hindsight, we're clearly overpays, not just for the Blazers, but for many teams throughout the market. Uh, as those get a little closer to completion, I think we'll see a number of teams use the stretch provision on those guys. And, you know, then just to manage things because of the fact that it looks like the cap is going to be relatively flat for a few years here. Now, you know, it's possible at some point someone is going to get themselves in trouble by stretching so much that, you know, you you've already used up you know, 10% of your salary cap before you even get to playing paying players who are actually going to play for you. But 
you know, in Portland's case, I don't think they're quite at that point yet. The, the nice thing about, you know, being able to stretch Nicholson over such a long period of time is that it's not a very large figure in any of those years. It's less than 3 million each of those years. I, I do think with hindsight, if they had it to do now, they probably would not have stretched the Barajal contract. They probably would have just bit the bullet on that last summer, especially knowing knowing you know how difficult it was going to be to get value in free agency uh, last summer and just gotten wiped the books off that one. But you know, I think that the the Azili one, even at that small amount, is understandable because of the fact that you know where they were projecting to be in the terms of the Dallas, the luxury tax at that point, you know, every dollar was going to be several multiples of that in terms of what you're paying in tax. Interesting. Uh, that that's a a good insight on the the Azili stretching. It 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 did, it did seem like I, I was a little confused by that. But the Verizon one, you make a great point that you know at that time they had. The, I think they were below the salary floor at that point or something like that, and, and they could have done something that year to, 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 to kind of figure it out. But either way, uh, they are using that stretch revision, and it seems like that's a, a new thing that's going to be happening uh, under, this CB, under this new salary cap structure post-2016 summer where everyone – got a lot of money and it seems like there's a crunch on the horizon with that crunch coming. You talked about the Nurkic extension. Do you think that will at all negatively impact what he might be able to get from the Blazers? Do you think maybe he gets, you know, do you think he's going to get a max deal from them or do you think that maybe Portland could extend him for something a little bit less than the max considering the crunch that seems to be coming? Yeah, I'd be really surprised if he got a max offer from the Blazers. I mean, I think in addition to that, so yeah, you look at this year's center market in particular, very few players got long-term deals who are centers. And they go, well, the ones who did weirdly are are generally old guys. Like Pau Gasol got a three-year, $48 million deal from the San Antonio Spurs for reasons that remain somewhat unclear <laughs> at this point. Exactly how he opted out of a contract that was paying him sixteen million this year to make sixteen million this year, and then for the next two years, including one year where he gets sixteen point eight. But uh, beyond that, we didn't see a lot of money out there for centers. You know, the top restricted guy on the market, uh, Nerlens Noel, is still sitting there without any team that really has the ability to make him a competitive offer at this point. He's basically, you know, just going to have to leverage the threat of taking the qualifying offer from Dallas into trying to get a long-term deal for them. We saw, you know, centers, uh, Greg Monroe notably decide to play out his player option instead of heading into free agency this year because of the fear of what it was going to be like for centers. And I think that was in in hindsight, a wise move for him. So yeah, I, I think if you're the Blazers, there's, there's no reason for them to not get a discount if they're going to extend Nurkic. Now, this is not like McCollum last summer or Lillard the summer before that, where, you know, it doesn't matter what happens. You know that those guys are going to be coveted enough that they're going to get max offers. There's still lots of questions out there about Nurkic and the market for centers is so rough that that could work to their benefit. Uh, On the other hand, you know, you are taking the risk that Nurkic plays like he did in the second half of last season for a full year. And all of a sudden he becomes the restricted guy that teams feel like because of Portland's, you know, tax situation. Oh, Hey, if we make a big offer, the Blazers may not match this. We can get him away, pry him away. And that becomes a reason for them to go out and aggressively make a move for him. I mean, that's what you see in, in restricted free agency. It's either, it's either you're the Tim Hardaway or the Allen crab where someone goes out and overpays you or you don't get an offer at all. It's kind of an all or nothing kind of proposition, uh, 
uh, for restricted free agents. So, you know, that's, that's the chance Nurkic is taking. And that's why, you know, he might have some willingness to lock in at a lower number, but knowing his self-confidence, I would not be surprised to see Nurk bet no, on himself. Not at all. Uh, he definitely seems like a very confident guy and very much believes in himself. But, you know, maybe there could be a, there's a lot of factors here when it comes to these contracts. You know, he could really just like playing with Damon CJ a lot. Maybe he really likes Portland or maybe he just, you know, wants to get his, you know, and rightfully so, uh, play out his contract and see what he can do to to get his number up. But uh, it is an interesting factor now that now that the economy of the NBA is kind of balanced a little bit that that it seems like there's there's this reaction now that's happening in the market that maybe Portland could take advantage of uh you were down in Vegas you saw a little bit of the the Blazers summer run I know that you evaluated some of their guys what did you think of the two rookies that were there and maybe any insight that you saw from the second year guy uh Jake Lehman who was down there? Connaughton didn't get much uh, as much run, but any you know thoughts that you had on the summer Blazers and what they were able to show? Zach Collins, Swanigan, uh, Layman, and, and and those guys. If you, if you saw anything from them or how you would evaluate their performance, if there, if there was anything to glean uh, from those performances. So I would say I didn't see much of Zach Collins because of how early his summer ended and the, the way their schedule worked out. You know, I was mostly over in the the big Jim Thomas and Mac instead of over in Cox Pavilion, where I think the Blazers played their first, you know, two or three games uh, this summer. So I, I didn't get to see, you know, I'm basically evaluating Collins basically going off the stats, which obviously were not great offensively, very encouraging for him defensively, but, uh, you know, struggled to score efficiently and take advantage of some of the opportunities that was created were created for or him playing off Swan again and kind of that high low combination that the two of those guys had had working. Um, I, I, I do think based on what we saw from Collins, my expectations are now that, you know, I, I figured that he would be ready to be productive right away in limited minutes, similar to what we saw from him last year at Gonzaga. Uh, I, I'm now a little more bearish on that idea. You know, I think he probably will take him a year or two to get ready to contribute in an NBA rotation. Although, you know, I'm sure he'll get some chances here and there. Uh, Swanigan, you know, I think it was, we kind of, it was kind of what you expected from Swanigan, knowing that he was one of the most productive players in in college basketball last year at Purdue, and then someone whose whose game I think is particularly well suited for the summer league style of play, which tends to favor you know sometimes undersized big guys, uh, players wh- whose games are more post oriented, uh, more so than I think that they you know, necessarily are featured at the NBA level. But you know, nice to see him step away from the basket, shoot some NBA threes, and certainly his. Re- Rebounding is something that should translate very comfortably over into the regular season. Uh, so I think, you know, a solid performance for him. And now, you know, the, along the lines of what I said earlier about Collins, I would say now my expectation is, you know, Swanigan's maybe a little ahead of him in whatever competition there is for playing time in the front court since those, you know, positions are probably going to be pretty interchangeable uh, in terms of the other options for Portland in the front court at power forward and center. Layman. You know, I think it, I think Nate Duncan summed it up well on on the uh, Dunked On podcast last week. Like his shots got to go in, kind of, for him to to be effective in the NBA. He's doing a lot of other useful things, but those shots have to go in. And you know, even within the tournament, when the Blazers made their run, we saw that come and go for him in terms of the shooting. 
Yeah, and he he had a couple of games where he got a lot of shots up, but yeah, you'd like to see it go in a little bit more. He seems like in the short time that we've seen him, he seems like a very streaky shooter. Uh, but you know, we'll we'll see if he can. Now there there is you know with Crab gone now, I I know there was a lot of. There's a lot of overlap with, with the minutes that they had going, but now with Crab gone, there is a lot of there's some extra playing time now on the wing that could be open if they don't make another move. And 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 but Layman's going to have to hit shots to earn that. I think is is that's probably more what you're saying is that he's going to have to make shots to get on the court. Yeah, and especially in terms of replacing Crab, like you're losing a lot of shooting there. And and you're right. I mean, there's a lot of minutes. He played the third most minutes on the team after Lillard and McCollum last year, which is, you know, the downside to this trade. The reason you were able to get off Crab's salary without giving up a pick in return is because of the fact that he did have value as a player. It wasn't $18 million worth of value. I'm still skeptical that it's even the $12 million or so that the Nets are paying him net once you factor out factor in Nicholson's salary, getting off that from them. But he's still a useful rotation piece and someone Portland is going to have to find a way to replace. And I do think there are some options for them to do that still in free agency. Yes. And this is something I wanted to talk to you about as well. You brought up uh, Gerald Henderson when you were uh, reviewing the trade. Explain why you think Henderson would be a good fit to to come into that role and, and be on the Blazers. He was here before, yes, by the way. Just just, just letting yeah. all y'all know, he was here before, and, and they had a good year when he was here. But explain why you think that would be a good fit for and now with this team, uh, this different team that it is now. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, the the obvious explanation is we've seen him in a relatively similar run role to the one he'd be playing if he came back. Obviously, he was playing a lot alongside Alan Crabb two years ago when he was in Portland. But, you know, he's become a capable three-point shooter, even though he's probably still more comfortable from that 20-foot range. And then a versatile defender who showed the ability to even defend fours at times in Portland because of the fact that he's so strong for his size. You know, I think he's, he's more capable than Crabb of being that wing stopper alongside Lillard and McCollum when you're, you're playing both of those guys together and, and playing someone else at the small forward position. And the other aspect of it is he's this accomplished value player who still has a lot of value in the modern NBA who's also sitting out here unsigned, as we said here on July 31st recording this podcast. That, that blows me away. I thought for sure that, you know, some one of these teams that was wing needy in terms of a three and D, you know, Houston ended up getting Luke Bamute at the minimum. That was a team that I thought might be in contention for him. And they also got PJ Tucker with their mid-level, which is a, a much richer uh, example of the uh, way to add a player. Minnesota ended up signing Jamal Crawford with their room exception. That was another team that I thought made sense for him. So I don't know if at this point he's going to do better than the minimum. And if he's going to play for that, then, you know, A, that, that makes a lot of sense for Portland financially because of the fact that part of that gets reimbursed uh, by the league if it's a one-year deal. And then I think it makes sense for him to go somewhere where he's comfortable, knows how he's going to be used, and knows he can be effective. So to me, it makes a lot of sense for both sides. I mean, there, there are still a few, you know, veteran guys out there. Gerald Green is out there at this point. Brandon Rush, who, you know, wasn't as effective last year in Minnesota as he had been in Golden State previously. Ian Clark, uh, another name that's been brought up. Looks like the market's kind of dried up for him. But to me, Henderson would be at the top of my list of the guys who are out there. Yeah, I like the point that you bring up that he could play four. He did play four a lot for them. I remember him playing a lot of four in that second round series against the Warriors where, you know, he matched up a lot. And 
he's very strong. And the other thing, it's for a guy his size, his athleticism, he gets up for rebounds and, and, and can really help there. Yeah, I, I think Henderson would be a really good option. Now Portland does have an extra roster spot once they do the waving of, of Andrew Nicholson. And they could just sign him either with the minimum or uh, they still have the taxpayer mid-level if they want to dip further into the tax. But it remains to be seen, you know, how far they want to go into that. Do you, other than Henderson, do you think that maybe there's a, there's obviously Portland has been rumored to maybe get in these mellow Houston talks? Uh, do you see them getting into that in any way? Do you see them trying to add a player that way? Because it does seem like they wanted to get out of the tax, and it seems like if one of the names that's been connected with them has been Ryan Anderson, that would be counterintuitive for them trying to get out of the tax to add a guy like that. Do you see any other trades out there for the Blazers that they might make, or do you think maybe they just stand pat where they are, sign a guy like Henderson or Ian Clark or someone like that to kind of fill that role on the cheap instead of, say, you know, try and make another big move for some some veteran players that are maybe more ready to help now yeah i mean i'd be surprised if that role was kind of a facilitator and a mellow trade came to pass it seemed like the idea was you know maybe we can upgrade from myers leonard to ryan anderson and that will be more expensive but you know it's kind of the same logic that the nets used with crab if we trade out Andrew Nicholson is making six million. You bring in Alan Crab who's making eighteen million. We're effectively only paying Alan Crab twelve million. Now there are some issues with that logic. Is uh, our old friend Ben Falk pointed out on Twitter last week? Like when you try to trade him, he's not making twelve million. He's still making eighteen million. Uh, that that's an issue with that kind. Of- Logic, but you know, I think that could be you know the kind of thing they they're thinking. It's just that I don't know that the Knicks or the certainly the Rockets are any more willing to take back Myers Leonard's ten million a year than they were to take back Ryan Anderson's nineteen million a year. So you know, then you have to find another team, and that's where it becomes you know that much more complicated to figure out who's getting the picks. How, how does everyone value this? The more teams you get involved, the more difficult it becomes. So I, I would be surprised if the Blazers ended up involved in that. And I, and I certainly don't think that the crab trade, even though it creates this giant trade exception, is an indication that they have somebody else cooking in terms of a big trade. I, I think it's just, you know, the opportunity was there to, you know, get much closer to the luxury tax line, put yourself in position where now maybe, you know, mid season, you can trade Ed Davis when he's only got a couple million left on his contract. If he looks like he's, you know, kind of, uh, redundant with the development of Noah Vonley and the addition of Caleb Swanigan and, and Zach Collins. Now, maybe you move him midseason. you get all the way under the tax entirely. You don't have to worry about the lo- repeater tax years down the road. I don't see that as a setup for something down the road. Uh, also worth addressing. You mentioned officially waving Nicholson. I saw some speculation about like, why haven't the Blazers done that yet? I mean, basically there's no hurry for them to do it. The deadline to be able to stretch his salary for this year is I'm doing this off the top of my head, but I'm pretty sure it's August, the end of August. So before that, there's really no, the the roster limit is 20 during the off season. You don't need the roster spot. Now there's no urgency for them to do it. Maybe some sort of trade materializes where you're able to use Nicholson's salary or, you know, I I don't know what exactly that would be but there's there's basically no good reason for them to waive him until the end of the month that is a good note they also pushed back the fully guarantee date for pat Connaughton. so while 
you're saying that, hey, they may not actually have a move up their sleeve. They're keeping their options open for if a move to would present itself that they have an option open. They have a salary that they can just move that can help them make make things add up on a trade with both Connaughton and Nicholson. So that's a good thing that you brought up that, hey, they don't have to do it yet. And they have a lot of time here to maybe see what happens with you know the two big chess pieces that have still yet to move. There's Mello, and then there's the possibility that Kyrie, that, that the Cavs move Kyrie Irving. What do you think about that? Because I, I want to talk about that too, because I think that affects the entire landscape of the league, especially if he comes to the West. Uh, do you think he stays on the Cavs? I I think it's more likely that he stays on the Cavs at least you know through the start of the, the training camp and maybe the regular season and sort of the discussion you know in the first forty eight hours kind of made it appear because at that point it was you know everybody and and I did this too I, uh, everybody goes to the trade machine and sees what kind of trades they can work out involving Kyrie Irving. Uh, I saw Bill Simmons played uh, some some trade machine involving the Blazers, much to uh, Blazers fans. <laughs> yeah, it, was, it did not go over well with Portland Twitter. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, but there's no urgency for them to move him. He has re- no real leverage with this trade request. He's got two years left on his contract. He's not going to hold out. That does him no good to do that. So it's basically just the question the Cavs have to weigh is, what can we get for him versus – you know, is his relationship with LeBron James in particular and the team as a whole irreparable after this trade request? Yeah, it's it's pretty wild that 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 it got to this point that that he's requesting a trade. But at the same time, I I can kind of see where he's coming from because he's not sure that LeBron is going to be on the team next year. And and I don't even think it's so much about him kind of biting the hand that fed him with LeBron. I think it's like you know, kind of looking in the future, is LeBron going to look out for me? I don't know. It seems like it's a pretty interesting situation. But from the Cavs' perspective, you're right. He has absolutely no leverage. They don't have to trade him. They have a finals, a finals team already. So uh, it, I, I'm looking forward to see how that develops. Looking at the West or the whole NBA, I guess. What? Who's a team that you think maybe had a summer that maybe is a little under the radar? for you know a good summer that a team that had a good summer that may that people may not be thinking about uh this this year because there's been so many teams that have added so much talent that I feel like we've heard a lot about a, a lot of teams but who's one team that maybe you think people are sleeping on in terms of the moves that they made this summer so I've got off-season grades coming uh, Tuesday and Wednesday on ESPN Insider, first for the Western Conference and then for the Eastern Conference. So a little bit of a preview for that. I, I think you know a team that people are sleeping on is is Denver, who went out and because they added Paul Millsap so early and then haven't really done anything since then. I think you know it's been kind of overshadowed in the headlines by all the other things that have been going on. This is a team that you know added a guy who was, has been an all-star for several years in a row, albeit in the Eastern Conference. It's going to be much harder for him to be an all-star now in the West, uh, but also someone who's a perfect fit for what they need next to Nikola Jokic. 
uh, you know, with his, his not being a rim protector, not being a guy who's really exceptionally quick of foot on the perimeter, you know, those are shortcomings for them defensively. And while they were the number one offense after Jokic ascended to the starting lineup, replacing Nurkic in December, they were also the worst defense in the league. If you can still be in the top, top three or four offensively, which I think they have the personnel to do, and then even get up to like 20th or 25th defensively. Suddenly that team starts to look a lot like the D'Antoni era Phoenix Suns. Uh, I don't know if Millsap single-handedly will get them that high defensively, but there's a chance. And I think, you know, that's a team that hasn't made the playoffs since they fired George Carl and now has the ability to, to get there with, you know, Millsap complementing this group of young players that's still, you know, growing together and can be pretty effective in a couple of years when his salary comes off the books and that they'll be able to try to figure out something interesting with that at that point. That's a, a, a very good team. Uh, Denver, to me, they're right in the mix. Uh, you, you made the point seven through 10 right now in, in the West is going to be tough. I think, you can definitely count on the Spurs, the Warriors, the Rockets. I think all those teams are going to be in the mix. The Thunder, I, I think, are, are right there as well. Uh, and the Northwest Division, I, I think, as a whole, is is going to be – it might be the toughest overall division uh, in terms of just depth. I mean, Utah, they lost Gordon Hayward, sure, but they still are going to play really solid defense every night. I think Denver, you talked about them. It's almost like a flip side situation where they're just all offense, go, go, go. You've got Oklahoma City, who is a strong team. They just had Paul George. And then uh, Portland, I think, too, in Minnesota. I mean, those two teams uh, are both really talented, adding Jimmy Butler to Minnesota. And then Portland is still still there with Dame, CJ, and and those guys. I I think it's going to be really tough. And like you said, Portland – you know they're going to have to fight to just make the playoffs, uh, and and I think it's going to be a, a really tough battle. But I think they can maybe get a seven, maybe maybe seven seed, six seed, maybe that's like the best case scenario. I think is maybe a six for them. But where where do you see the the best case scenario for Portland this season? Yeah, I would agree in that range, and you know that's that's no knock on the. Places. I think this is something that, you know, they're one of the teams that really got hurt by the way this offseason went in terms of so much talent flowing into the Western Conference. It was those teams that really had already committed to, we're going to be competitive right now and, you know, not necessarily at the level of the top two or three teams of the conference. Now, all of a sudden, you're going from a spot where, okay, we win 45 games. We're definitely, we should confidently be in the playoffs and, you know, maybe even in the mix for five and six in the West to all of a sudden, it might take 45, 46 you know, 45, 46, 47 wins just to make the playoffs in the Western conference. You know, Portland could be as good as they were two years ago when they were the fifth seed and not make the playoffs. I mean, I think that's how good this conference is going to be. And, uh, you know, sneak peek, the other thing I have running this week is the ESPN real plus minus projections for the upcoming season using my projections for what rotations are going to look like. And all five teams in the Northwest division are projected better than 500. It's going to be a great, I I think it's going to be a great, season next year especially in the west it's going to be i I, the the way you're describing it's going to be like that that year when we were uh post hoop summit watching the the suns and mavericks uh (laughs) on a laptop and 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 fighting for a playoff seed uh that that was a great year it was i think the suns missed the playoffs with 47 wins i want to say 48 and that was that 
The, yeah, and that was also the year, the night that uh, what Luke Babbitt was trying to help the Blazers get home court advantage. Yes, against Houston. yes, ba- and they and they didn't give Babbitt the, uh, they didn't <laughs> give Babbitt the last shot. He, he was on he was on fire towards the end of the game. Great moments in 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 lower tier playoff history. Uh, yeah, that was that was a fun that was a fun year. Um, and a team I want to ask you about that I've been thinking about a lot are the Lakers. Uh Obviously, Lonzo Ball had a really great summer league. I think you said his triple-double was the f- first of its kind ever in summer league. In the, in the uh, Vegas summer league, yeah, since it started. Uh, I re- what do you think about their team? Because I really like Brook Lopez a lot. I, 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 I think that he is a really good player. I love how he's modernized his game. Do you think that they could be just not at the bottom of the conference? Because I, I, I feel like they can move a, move up a couple of tiers. I'm not saying they're going to make the playoffs, but I feel like this might be the first year where the Lakers actually make a step. I, I do think so. And, I, you know, I think in particular their starting lineup looks like it could fit pretty well together. Uh, Brooke Lopez is a nice compliment for Julius Randle at the offensive end of the court. The defensive end of the court is going to be uh, a different story, I think, for those two guys. But, well, his rebounding is a nice compliment for, for Brooke Lopez. But, you know, you know, the the having a stretch five really is going to open things up for them. You've got now shooting at every position except power forward. And, you know, Randall has a little bit of a mid-range game, but not a great one. Uh, Brandon Ingram probably is still going to be pretty inefficient at this point. But if he takes the step forward that, it you know, he showed during summer league, then all of a sudden that can be a pretty good starting lineup because then you've got Contavious Caldwell-Pope alongside Lonzo Ball, really nice fit defensively. Maybe not the, quite the kind of ball handler you'd ideally like next to ball or shooter you'd ideally like but you know if ball shoots the ball effectively in the regular season then you know that that could be a pretty good offensive uh outfit with you know at least one solid defender in Caldwell Pope which is one more than last season the bench is probably still going to be you know not nearly competitive for the Lakers and I think it's going to be you know I think they're going to be that kind of team that has a lot of those fun losses where you know they're playing close games against good teams and they're just not quite ready to beat them uh but then then they add LeBron James and all of a sudden they are hey uh I I love that you brought that up because I I mean this year, obviously, Cleveland is still, I think, the favorite, at least for me. But do you see that this could maybe be – do you think there's a possibility that this coming year may be the year that, say, Boston could knock them off or or maybe Toronto could get into the mix? I know they re-signed all their guys, but you know, it seems like the thing – the situation in Cleveland is really tough right now. And, and I don't know, do you see that maybe LeBron might might – might not make it to the finals this next year. Yeah, I certainly think it's a possibility. I mean, Boston, I I don't think they're going to win that many more games than last season because of the fact that, you know, they outperformed their point differential and also had some good luck in terms of their opponent's three point shooting. But now that you've got Gordon Hayward, the, your best five man lineup in the playoffs is substantially better. I think than it was last season and Cleveland's best five man lineup probably is not going to be as good, whether that's simply just because of the age of those guys and LeBron James in particular. And I think that's how much he can continue to defy age, which is a big factor in this. And then also you've got the Kyrie Irving trade. I mean, I, I think it's very possible that a Kyrie Irving trade could make the Cavs better in the regular season because of the fact that he's such a defensive liability in the regular season. And the team has tended to play poorly with him on the court and LeBron James on the bench. 
but also make them worse in the playoffs because of the fact that he's shown such an ability to turn it up and in the postseason. That's a good thing that you brought up because when uh, I think uh, one of your colleagues compared Kyrie to Damian Lillard, and I think uh, Tom Haberstroh uh, in a great uh, it was informative, and I, I think the comparison was. It was semi-apt, but I think in the regular, it's the difference that you just described. It's the regular season difference between that and the playoffs. And I think that Lillard has proven to be a more productive regular season player and maybe doesn't get to the level that Kyrie gets in the postseason. But I, I, I don't necessarily think if you switched it as Bill Simmons, you know, proposed the other day with the Kyrie for Lillard trade that Portland would win more games. I think if you flipped it, I think I think Cleveland would win more games, but it may not be as effective in the postseason as it would be to have Kyrie. It's not to say that I, I think they're very similar players, but I, I do think that there is it's a different challenge to win games in the regular season than it is to win games and win rounds in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, I understand why Portland fans were uh, frustrated about that because Lillard has shown the ability to be the best player on a playoff team during the regular season, which is something that Kyrie Irving has never done in his career. And, you know, obviously he hasn't had an opportunity to do that in his prime. But what we have seen from him playing without LeBron James the last couple of years, the results have been really poor, but much worse, certainly than, you know, you'd expect with similar talent around Lillard. Uh, and at the same time, you know, Lillard, I think the, the big difference in the playoffs is Lillard shot making can continue to be really valuable as it was against Houston in that first round series win three years ago. But defensively, his limitations are much more physical than Kyrie Irving's. Kyrie Irving to me is mostly about his effort at the at that end. So when he starts playing hard in the finals, he can be an effective defender against the Warriors in, in that setting. Lillard, I just don't think physically can do it. So that so yeah, somehow there are these sorts of trades you can make that because of the fact that the playoffs are more important to Cleveland than the regular season, they actually make both teams worse. Yeah, that's a, that's a really actually that's a you just said it better than I could have that it is it, just the fit for either team. It's just not there with the other guy. And, and yeah, that's a really interesting point. Cause I agree with you that Kyrie uh, does ha- has shown that he can step up in the postseason a little bit on the defensive end. Whereas Lillard has had his struggles still. Uh, and I think, you know, you'd like to see that pick up, but We'll see if they, uh, you know, they make any other moves. They probably won't. It seems like they're going to maybe give some of their younger guys a chance, but they have their options open, like you said, until August 31st. Uh, you, you, you plugged that you got some things happening this week. Uh, very excited to check that out on ESPN Insider. Listen to you on the Basketball Analogy podcast. Kevin, anything else that you wanted to tell uh, our listeners before we, we wrap this up, because I think this is a, a good place to, to wrap it up. Well, I suppose I should plug the, uh, the fabulous Pelton cast, which is the Seattle sports and food and occasionally Portland food, depending on the episode, uh, podcast that I do with my brother each week. So, you know, check that out when, when there's a, a Portland tease in the, uh, in the, the, the tweet, All right. I guess. Fabulous Pelton cast. Watch out for that. The basketball analogy, ESPN insider, Kevin Pelton. Thank you for having, for, for coming on, man. Thanks for having me.
Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details.